We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Here at Hard Rock Stadium, although it's a very comfortable day, not like last week with the Steelers. Here's a giant into the open field, up to the third. This is the tenth play of the drive, the eighth run of the drive. The giant to the end zone, touchdown Dolphins. Well, the running game, Ojai has amassed 142 yards today on 23 carries. Second down, he'll take it again. He stumbles into the open field. One man to beat, and he's in. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Krueger, my producer, and that was Tom McCarthy from CBS Sports calling what was just an embarrassment down in Miami this weekend. We got to, we got lit up by Jay Ajay. I can't. Your name doesn't sound like how it's spelled. You, you, how did you? Oh, God. I, it took me a day or two to wrap my head around what the hell just happened to us. I mean, last week, after every useless sports outlet that existed was proclaiming that the Buffalo Bills were a top 10 NFL team in their meaningless weekly power rankings, we here at the Rockpile Report declared that the Buffalo Bills hype bus version 2016 had officially left the station. And where are we no less than five days later? I can't stop! There's a cliff! And your family's screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! Gotta love being a Buffalo Bills fan, right ladies and gentlemen? I mean, that, that's what keeps us, what makes us feel alive. What you, keeps us coming back for more. You can't get, you can't get overhyped when we just uh, rattled off wins against Case Keenum, Colin Kaepernick, Carson Palmer, which that was weird in itself. And who's the other one? 
Because we had four in a row. It doesn't matter, but it that quarterback matter. sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jaco- Jacoby Brissett. We had four wins against Palmer, oh. Palmer, Brissett, Keenum, and Kaepernick. Whoopty friggin' do. All right. So, folks, we got a loaded show for you tonight. Let's keep it rolling here. We're going to bust right into the Buffalo Bills news update. Now, all of you out there who kept calling, you know, and continue to call for Rex, for Rob, for Thurman, for Whaley to get fired, you can all kick rocks, all right? In an interview with USA Today's Tom Pelissaro, Terry Pagula claims he's got no intention of firing Whaley or Rex, regardless of how this season turns out. He even went on to say that he's happy with the last few drafts, sees progress, and understands that injuries have derailed a lot of what we've been attempting to accomplish over the last season. He also touched on something I've been trying to cram down all of your throats every opportunity that I get. Continuity. Stability. He says that players need stability in order to perform at their best, and the coaches need stability in order to do their best work. So for everyone out there who wants to blame the staff for the things that have gone wrong this year, you're basically screaming into the hurricane at this point, so you might want to save it. Well, how about, um, I don't know if you want to touch it, and well, it's coming up next here. We got, you got Marcel Darius is back in practice. Why not? If you want to blame somebody, you can blame the training staff. That got brought to our attention earlier in the summer by uh, Gary Smith, AFC East Bros podcast. He was the first person that I had heard uh, yell about our training staff and how bad it is. And then I went on record saying the way the training staff is uh, doing their job, swear to God, somebody on the team this year is dying of dysentery. <laughs> it's like the Oregon Trail, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I'll tell you, it does start to and the fact that this is the same training staff that's been around for multiple. Since leaving. This is the thing. You've got a coaching, a coaching staff that's revolved. It's been a revolving door of coaches here. The only, the only continuity have been two things, injuries and the training staff. At what point, I get it that sometimes you know correlation isn't causation, but at what point do you start to look and say, okay, what, what the hell is actually going on here? What yeah. if we tweak this? Does it continue or does it stop? Yeah, look at like I think it's worth looking into. Even look at something with uh, Shaq Lawson's injury. You know, he could have had that right after the draft, and that might have been pushing it for him to be ready for the season opener. Yet they sat on it. They knew he had some kind of shoulder issue, and then during uh, rookie mini camps, you know, he does a swim move on a dummy, which I believe that dummy was Dennis Thurman. And then ripped his shoulder up, and they were like, well, you should just get the surgery now. And then we lost out on our first-round pick for the first six weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely starting. I mean, the evidence is mounting that maybe it's worth it. You can't pin it all on one group of people and say, oh, all these injuries. But what you can do is you can look at it and say, okay, what if we do start making changes? What do we stand to lose? It's not like our medical staff is one of the best in the country. So what do we stand to lose from tinkering with it? That's just some food for thought. And then in probably the biggest news of the week, Aaron Williams, he's back with the team. He's sitting in on meetings and he's been cleared of concussion concerns from, you know, from this weekend, you know, after sustaining a monstrous and by all accounts, just filthy hit from Jarvis Landry on a rushing play in Sunday's game. Now, 
Landry claims he didn't intend to hurt anybody. And Adam Gase has come out to say he supports his player. But Rex Ryan had some strong words about the incident. You know, it was totally unnecessary. Uh, did he launch, you know, did he target? Did he launch? Yeah, he did all those. You can check every box you want. You know, was it a dirty hit? Yeah, it was, it was unnecessary. And, and as I see it, it's unsportsmanlike. There's nothing about that hit that would say any other uh, deal. But I thought the officials got it right, you know, by the, uh, the way everything's, you know, it, it was unnecessary roughness. It, it clearly was. A football play came in for a crack block. You know, but there was nothing physical about it. It was, you know, I was surprised he did it and uh, and absolutely disappointed. And, you know, now I have a player that's in jeopardy. So I, I, I don't understand it. Um, but I think, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, maybe we need to look at our rules a little bit. And, you know, we're, we're uh, the college game may have it right. You know, maybe it's. Maybe having a guy that, that targets or deliberately, you know, does something like that. Maybe the, the right move is to to eject a player from the game and maybe part of another game. And that's how college does it. And I also like the fact that they review it on video. And if it's not, because there's a lot of things that happen. And I'm not saying for every unnecessary roughness, because there's plenty guys trying to block a pass, hit a quarterback in the head or whatever. That's something I'm talking about, a blatant – you know, shot like that or, or others I've seen, um, you know, maybe there's a different way of handling it. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised by it because, like I said, I had a great, deal, a great deal of respect for that player. Now, that audio comes from the uh, buffalobills.com. That hit, for all of you Sabres fans out there, reminded me a lot of the Milan Lucic hit on Ryan Miller in a number of different ways. And I'm about to expand on that a little bit because I got to tell you, I'm fired up. I, okay, I'm pissed off. An important member of my football team took a clearly filthy shot. Okay, but here's where I'm angry, and you know, I, I think the thing that pisses me off the most is that afterwards, everybody, you know, Eric Wood came out and called it garbage. Rex Ryan's on the podium talking about, oh, I'm disappointed, and that guy should have been ejected, and. Bob, everyone's got, you know, Richie Incognito's talking about it to reporters in the locker room afterwards. Everyone has harsh words when the microphones come out. But nobody stepped up and did something about it. And now before you all hear that and lose your minds, I'm going to clarify. Now, I'm man enough to admit the following things about myself. Okay. I am a poor sport. I am. And I have a temper. It's it's a snaky temper. You'd never know it until you see it, and if you if you see it, it's already too late because I can't put it away. <laughs> There's no suppressing it at that point. I can admit that about myself. I was on Twitter watching that game, and after that hit, I had a conversation with one of our listeners where I admitted that even if it was wrong, I no longer cared about the win. I wanted blood for blood. I wanted somebody to go out there and. And make it right, since clearly, I i mean, I wasn't, I personally wasn't happy with the way the officials handled it. I wanted revenge. And the and the, the fan that we were talking to, I mean, it was an intelligent conversation. And I walked away from it with no ill will towards that person. But that's why I know in my heart of hearts that I would never make a good football coach. 
And if I'd been able to continue playing football, I probably had just ended up doing something, you know, in a moment like that, doing something in a game that would make Vontez Perfect look like Rachel Ray. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand. I it's 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 ugly. My temper. I like, mean, I say Chris has seen flashes of it. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to. And like, I feel bad about that. You don't want in the moment, like in incognito, just to go up and wreck them in that downtime. You know, next series, you get Gilmore or Darby or Brown. You get Landry coming across the middle, cold cock them. No, but but see that it's not even about that. No, the part that disappointed me the most, because after I calmed down and I got off the ledge from wanting revenge, wanting that immediate satisfaction of seeing someone go out there and knock that guy's teeth out. Ultimately, I realized I wasn't so much mad at Landry. I was mad at our team. Ultimately, I wanted to see a reaction, a a response, something. You know, let that filthy play be the spark that wakes up, you know, that wakes our team up. I mean, here they are punching us in the mouth with the running game all day, just pushing it down our throats, beating us up on the, you know, beating up our offensive line with their defensive line. I wanted to see that be the spark that woke our team up. You know, let our, I mean, Richie Incognito, he's a tough guy. Okay, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna argue that. And Eric Wood, again, another guy who I think he's a pretty tough dude. Why don't you go out there and use it as some motivation to go push them back a little bit? Go be more physical. Run the ball with a little bit of authority and get back at them that way if you're so pissed off about it. On defense, make your tackles. Stop missing so many tackles all over the field. Start hitting guys. Maybe hit with a little bit of authority. Okay? You know, let that shot that you give their running back on the next play be the thing that motivates you. Know, let that be your motivation. Okay? Let this hit that... Aaron Williams just took be the motivation that drives you to collectively come together as a team and say, listen, we got to rally around each other right now because they're taking cheap shots at us. Let's step up and let's push back. That's what I'm disappointed in. I saw nothing until everybody had a microphone in their face and the game was already decided. And it doesn't matter at that point. It's too late. So you can talk all you want about what you think is what you think happened. But the fact is, is we got punched in the mouth and we took it. We didn't swing back. As a team, we didn't swing back. I'm not talking about any individual player going out and headhunting Landry, which is exactly what I was thinking on Sunday after I saw it. But in retrospect, I wanted to see some fire out of these guys, and I got nothing. They were flat all day, and that move, seemed that hit right there, seemed like the thing that just finally deflated them, and we were done. I mean, I'm not going to point fingers at any one specific player. All I can say is this. Like the hit that Ryan Miller took from Milan Lucic that season. Nobody did a damn thing to Lucic. He went to the box. He got out of the box. And he went back to the bench. And it took, what was it, four or five weeks, Chris, before we played them again, before somebody actually fought Milan Lucic? Yeah, I will tell you, I remember that play like the back of my hand because I was actually here visiting. I didn't live here yet because that was November 2011. It was the the first weekend I uh, I banged my wife, and I was watching that game with a buddy. And I remember I remember watching Luchis just diesel Ryan Miller, and I'm looking. Okay, who's on? I'm, my first instinct is as somebody that plays hockey. I'm like, okay, who's on the ice? Who can who can take care of this? And I think the most physical saber that was on our roster happened to be on the ice and didn't do anything about it. Paul Gaustad. I mean. At the end of the day, 
what it comes down to is this. My fear and my disappointment stems from the fact that nobody responded. Even if it's even if it's the offensive line as a whole deciding they're going to run the ball just a little bit harder. Or whether it's our linebackers actually making their tackles and making them with authority. Let that be the response. But to see no response terrifies me. Because that's exactly what happened with the Buffalo Sabres. And our season unraveled from that point forward. The team itself fell apart. In sports, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys who are listening right now have played sports. But football especially. I mean, I played on an offensive line. It's about having, having your teammates' backs. No matter what. You're going out there and you're going to war with a bunch of guys. And so it's you can hate the guy next to you. But if he's wearing the same color jersey you are... You'll go to war for that guy. And that's it. Until the until the last whistle blows and the clock reads zero. And afterwards, you can go back to the locker room and think about it. So the fact is, is I want to know that, that, that I'm not going to see anything like this again. Because if not, you set a dangerous precedent. That teams can take liberties with us. And that we're, for, for all the tough talk about how we're going to build a bully, you want a group of guys who are going to come together and play as a, not just a team, but they're going to go and fight for each other. And the fact that nobody stepped up their play after that hit, it's it's enough to worry me. You know, I, I, it, yeah, I it we, makes me afraid that I've seen what we're really made out of as a team. Yeah, we by all counts, you know that that play. I guess it started we, at any point watching the game. We never felt comfortable. We were up what seventeen to six mm-hmm. in the third quarter. You and I both weren't comfortable that we were ahead. We like we felt that they would come back and. By all counts, we didn't do anything in the trenches on either side of the football. And for anyone out there who saw my irrational tweeting online about violence and all kinds of other nonsense. You're going to get that on Sundays between 1 and 4. The thing is, from the, Drew and, I, and I hate to say this, but that is my temperament. And, and I know, like I said, I know that about myself. I know it's not good. My girlfriend puts up with it. I don't know how. God bless your soul. I have a very volatile temper. And so I when it showed I saw, on Twitter when I saw that I flipped. Well, Chris has seen it a number of times in a yeah. number of instances, driving in traffic, whether we're out at a bar. He's seen moments where I just explode. And the thing is, I have that. And I know that that's a reason why I'm, I shouldn't be the voice of reason in a, in a situation like this. No, I've got I've if, got some of that on tape. <laughs> what I've what I've learned about these types of situations is that if I think that something's right, then I'm probably wrong. Yeah. Okay. Which is why I was willing to just calm down, be rational, take a step back and see this for what it really is. But it doesn't change my disappointment in this situation at all. I want to see this, you know, this Buffalo Bills team grow together into a group of guys who are willing to go out there and say, hey, someone just took a shot at one of our best playmakers. We're going to go out there and whether and we're not going to try to hurt anybody because that just makes them that makes us just as big, you know, just as big of assholes as they are. Yeah, and that, instead and, we're going to go out there, and we're just going to have that firm resolve that you aren't going to do this stuff to us, and we're going to, sh- you don't shake the shake the hornet's nest. You no. know, I say that with the epitome of that was it was a it was a play against the Colts. The Redskins are playing the Colts on Sunday Night Football. And I'll never forget it. Peyton Manning took a cheap shot. It was a cheap shot. A player was already tackling him behind the knees, and then a guy came in and smoked Peyton Manning in the helmet. And they had to help him walk off the sidelines. And I thought that he, I thought there was no way he would come back. In the second half, not only did he, he threw for four touchdowns, 
But that offensive line, which if we all remember those Colts teams outside of one year, they never had a dominant rushing game. They ran for 147 yards in the second half because that offensive line behind a leader like Jeff Saturday got pissed off that they took a shot at their guy. And their response was they stepped up and crammed it down Washington's throat. I want to see that out of my football team. I want to see that killer instinct, that mentality of, you can't cut, you can't hit us in the mouth and expect us not to swing back. We're just not going to go out there and do it the way you did it. I yeah. don't know. It just I, I was talking about, it and I, I feel bad because I talk about not tweeting at players and things like that. I saw Eric Wood post something about how that hit was gutless, and I said the only thing gutless was your guy's response because that's honestly how I feel. I feel like what I saw out there on Sunday from them after that hit took place. I'm not going to say it's embarrassing, but I'll say this: it it makes me afraid for what type of a team we are. Yeah, and to our listeners, this is exactly why we record on Wednesdays and not on a Sunday night or a Monday night. We need you to calm down, rationalize, (laughs) watch a coach's film, and break down the X's and O's like we we know you can do. We get get, uh, fan mail where people, people say the thing that they like about our show is that we're able to stay objective. (laughs) There's... During the game, there's no objectivity. Yeah. It's just you yelling at the TV. Ugh. And if you haven't been to the Bills Fanatics Instagram account, and you can watch <laughs> Drew yell at the TV, which has 15,000 views. So, guys, I just I just want you to give that some thought. Okay? I, I mean, I really hope that I'm wrong. But that's the thing that disappointed me the most. In fact, if you guys have a theory on this, or if there's something out there that you guys think about this topic... Twitter. Let us hear it. Tweet at us at Rockpile Report on Twitter or hit us up in the you know in our email, rockpilereport seven one six at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. You know, we'll read some of them in the next in the next uh, next week's recording. Woosa. All right. I'm gonna take a sip of this beer. And then, like mace in the friggin' eyes. <laughs> We're going to pick through the wreckage of the 2016 Buffalo Bills hype bus in order to try and break down this this week's game against the Miami Dolphins. It started with Ajayi re, not only repeating what he did the previous week against the Steelers, but besting it. All right. So starts off with stats of the game. Jay Ajayi, 29 rushes, 214 yards, and one touchdown. to 7.37 yards per carry average. Buffalo's third down offense, three of 13 on third down. Sacks, Miami four, Buffalo one. Any of those for Mario Williams? No, thank God. Then I consider that a Buffalo win. 16 missed tackles by the Buffalo Bills. They now have 57 total missed tackles for the season, which is the fourth highest in the NFL. Tyrod Taylor's quarterback rating, according to Pro Football Focus, through quarters one through three, he had a quarterback rating of 75.3, which was fifth highest in the NFL. In quarter four, he had a quarterback rating of 24.9, which was 29th in the NFL. And let's not forget what I tweeted out on our Twitter account at Rockpile Report uh, per WGR. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is one in nine in games where he trails by f- at least four points in any game. I'll tell you, I mean, these statistics right here pretty much sum up the game, right? Yep. So let's break it down. First off, 
I want to start off with a positive note. Our special teams play has been outstanding. I think the last two years, our team's kind of our team kind of got a bad rap. And I'll be honest, I hate Danny Crossman because his teams before coming to Buffalo, their special teams were last in the NFL. So when they hired Danny Crossman, I just screamed at the you know, I saw it on the ticker on ESPN and I screamed at the TV. I mean, I, I hated it. Well, our special teams have been great. I mean, the Dolphins they have a kick and punt returner named Jakeem Grant. Okay, the kid is a weapon. He's shifty. He's got speed. He's like a Sproles-type runner. You know what I mean? He's short. He's compact. He can break some arm tackles. But our special teams unit kept him in check for the majority of the afternoon on Sunday. Now, on the flip side of that, Brandon Tate was solid. I mean, think about it. We picked him up off the scrap heap. And now he's set up. I mean, his return set up one of our scores. And then you flip it around and you've got Laurenti McRae. A steal for the Buffalo Bills, given his stat line right now. Doug Whaley traded away at the end of the preseason when he realized that we were short on outside linebacker talent. He traded a seventh-round draft pick to Green Bay for Laurenti McRae. No one knew who the hell he was. Right now, his stat line is he has a sack and a half, 15 tackles, two forced fumbles, and now one blocked punt. And that block was the catalyst for our only first-half touchdown. I mean, sadly, they were the only unit on the day that really played well. And that right there kind of tells you you're not going to win many games when your special teams are the best part of your day. Buffalo on third down might have been the worst part of the entire game. Might have been the worst part. They were atrocious. And it's a testament to how little an NFL team can do when they're missing the majority of their offensive playmakers. Our offensive coordinator, I mean... Anthony Lynn didn't make things easy. (laughs) He ran plays that a lot of the time left us facing third and long situations. He abandoned the run for a large portion of the game, which really screwed us. And our offensive line struggled in pass protection for a large chunk of the afternoon. Eric Wood finished his pro football focus's lowest graded center in football this week. And Mills, I mean, anyone watching the game, I even tweeted out, I even tweeted about it. Everyone could watch Mill just getting spanked by Cameron Wake. Yeah, we saw that at the beginning of the game, and I think I pointed that out. It was embarrassing. And I'm not Mr. X's and O's. It's the first couple drives, Mills was just getting his ass handed to him. And now, coming into that, now I looked at Chris and I said, okay, okay, well, if he's hammering, you know, if Mills is getting whooped out of the gate, you know how you negate that? You run some trap blocking over there. You run some, you know, you run some draw plays at that side of the field get Cameron Wake to continue rushing and then just run through the spot that he vacated. It'll make him, at least, even if it doesn't work, even if we don't gain a ton of yards, it's going to make him think. You know, It's going to make him have to hesitate to wonder, okay, are they running it into my spot? Should I stay home before I start to pass rush? Instead, we just let these guys tee off play after play after play. It was almost like we were forecasting what we were going to do before we did it. I mean, that, that falls on the offensive coordinator. I know it's popular right now for everyone to bag on Tyrod Taylor. The stats just showed it. He had, through three quarters, a rating that's worthy of being in the top five of the NFL with no offensive weapons. He, For as poorly as the result came down, he had no weapons, and he still made the plays to hold a lead through three quarters. And then that's, the next, that's my next point I want to make here. Tyrod Taylor was two different quarterbacks in this game. I mean, you heard the stats. He was harassed 
the entire day by the Miami Dolphins defensive line. Yet we held that lead. But he couldn't convert on third down because typically we were at least third and five, third and six. They knew it was a pass play. So all they did was play kind of like a pre, uh, I'll call it like a cover four, cover five. They, they broke everyone out and took away the passing lanes. What do you want Tyrod to do? He doesn't have any guy who can win a one-on-one matchup anymore. You know, Justin Hunter's not that guy. Marquise Goodwin's not that guy, unless he's going deep on a on a go route. We saw that in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so it's just it's frustrating that you know we he he did well enough to get us where we needed to be, but our lack of you know our lack of effectiveness on defense really just I mean it really sank us. But then it also goes hand in hand with where we were with at the you know with Tyrod's play. We couldn't convert on third downs. And because we couldn't convert on third downs, our defense was gassed. You gotta figure it's hot down there. Our sideline the sideline for the visitors is specifically set up so that the home team is in the shade and the away team has the sun beating down on them. It's an extra five degrees hotter. Yeah, they touch on that the, on uh, AFC East. On the visitors' sideline. And so then you've got this team that needs to get off the field, and they just can't. And then as the game wore on, you saw those gains get bigger and bigger I believe, and bigger. And the tackles start, and guys start missing tackles because they're getting worn down. They can't take the same – they can't get to their spot as quickly as they, you, they could in the first quarter. I'm pretty sure Miami held the ball for, I believe it was 37 minutes. 37 to our 22, I believe. Yeah. I mean, they, they, that's not going to help our defense no. in, in the humidity of Miami. I mean, this this game reminded me of the first two games that we lost, and the fact that we didn't, we couldn't convert on third downs, and we didn't possess the ball. We didn't have the ball for long enough, and we just let our defense get worn down. I mean, I think it just sucks that Miami's defense decided to wake up the week before we played them, and then our lack of playmakers on the field just. And lack of execution. I mean, it left us vulnerable to Miami's second-half running attack, which is what won them this football game. Yeah. That's, that's why our intro was nothing but J.H.I., because he is the story of that game. I'm glad I'm glad neither you or I agreed to a Seagram's bet that he would repeat what he did against Pittsburgh. Ugh. Not only repeat it, he bested what he did against Pittsburgh with 214. I mean, let's talk about the Miami rushing attack for a second. According to Pro Football Focus, J.H.I. broke 10 tackles. He broke 10 tackles. That's two whole hands. And averaged 4.4 yards after contact per carry against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. I mean, that's that's awful. If you consider how well our linebackers and cornerbacks were playing in run support. I mean, they, we walked into just a buzzsaw with this guy. Some of the things that I saw from cover one, Eric Turner, uh, he had some videos, and he, I could see I was watching guards pull on run plays, and they would kind of chip on our D-line and then have full contact with our linebackers. Oh, 100%. They got to the second level all day. Not only that, but they they called, and I think this, this is just – I hate saying anything nice about these assholes because real men don't wear teal, okay? I hate, I hate saying anything nice about the Miami Dolphins. But Adam Gase, he just, he stuck to his guns. You know, he stuck to his guns with that rushing attack, even when they were losing. He said, I know I can win this game with my running back. He routinely, but it's the way he ran the ball. 
he called a lot of delayed counters and then a lot of stretch plays that, you know, to get our defense running one direction. And then he would, you know, cut laterally, have the running back cut laterally back across the grain. And our players couldn't really line up for clean tackles. And that's what led to a lot of our misses. We lost we lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And I want to say that Gase releasing, releasing like Dallas Thomas and two other linemen the I week before. I think it sent a message. That sent a message. Well, not only that, but I also think this is what their offensive line. I mean, if you think about it, the talent that they have on their offensive line when they're healthy Brandon Elbert, in his prime, was a very good left tackle, which is why they paid for him. And this was their second game with a full, healthy Mike, five. Mike Pouncey is a very good center when he's healthy. The biggest knock against the Miami offensive line has been none of them can stay healthy. And they had guys like Dallas Thomas. You replace him with a Laramie Tunsil, the kid looks as billed. He looks like a good offensive lineman. The fact is, and Juwan James, another first-round draft pick, it almost seems like they took kind of the, the Dallas Cowboys way to things. Where you just build that offensive line with enough draft capital, eventually it'll pay off because eventually you'll be able to run the ball with authority. And that should be putting everyone in football on notice that this isn't the same Miami Dolphins if their offensive line can continue their the play that they've gotten so far. I mean, that their progression combined with our regression just just cost us the game. I mean, I how many plays was I screaming at the TV because they would pick up a first down on first down? Oh, yeah. They, they run do- for 12 yards on first down. They were doing that consistently throughout the whenever throughout they, the football game. And whenever they got to a third down, very rarely, unless they got – I mean, they themselves were the cause of the loss, which brings me to my next point. Miami's penalties. Miami's penalties are the only reason that they weren't winning this game sooner. I mean, if you think about it, they got in the red zone how many times they had to settle for field goals because two, – uh, Two or three times. False starts, zone. holding, the, the crackback block. That yeah. took them out of touchdown range, and they ended up having to settle for a field goal. That's the only reason they weren't blowing us out was because they were shooting themselves in the foot. If Miami were to clean that up, they might be a very good football team. Yeah, that game wouldn't have been close. Oh, no. No, not the way we were playing. I mean, it's incredible. When you take a look at the tape and you just see how many times Jay Ajay is just running. and he, like, I think, I think the most damning run of the game. Where I, in my heart of hearts, knew the game was over. 53 yards? The 53 yards from in the shadow of their own goalpost. Yep, you heard it in the intro. It was just, it was crippling. I mean, I at that point, I tweeted out that I was going to go outside and start the grill. And that's exactly what I did. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't stick around to watch the end of the game. Because this is one of those games that even just watching it, re-watching the game film to kind of understand what happened, it's you, painful. Yeah, if you I knew don't how to watch it more than once. You knew how the story was going to end. I don't want to have to watch that more than once. So I left. I started the grill. I cooked Chris, my girlfriend, and I some burgers and got some French fries going. And we had a po- very somber post game kind of dinner. Yep. And then plus, that's when you were getting sick. I was getting sick, and then and then that's the other thing. I here I am, here I am getting sick. I'm getting sick. I've got an upper respiratory thing going on. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Upper body injury. An upper body injury. I've got an upper body injury. And uh, and I apologize that my voice can't carry the way it usually does or if I'm coughing to the microphone. I'm going to apologize because I'm just I'm, I'm not well, but I'm, I'm hanging in here because I feel like this is important and I got a lot of shit to get off my chest. Because otherwise, I'll just yell it all at my girlfriend and she'll hate me. 
<laughs> so unfortunately, you guys have to show up and listen to it. So I'm watching this, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm just like, you know, we're, <laughs> we're getting, like, I know how this game is going to go because I'm watching a defense that's exhausted. I watch enough college football. I'm an Alabama fan. You know what we do to teams? Is we pound the ball at them until they're tired. And then when they're tired, we pound the ball at them some more. And eventually in the fourth quarter, we're breaking off. You can you know when the team's broken because we're ripping off. What was it? You watched it with me. The oh, 70-something, yeah. 80-yard touchdown run by Bo Scarborough, who's not fast. He's no. like a Brandon Jacobs at running back. And yet he ran an 85-yard touchdown because their defense was so gassed they just couldn't stop him. I saw that in our defense after that play. I was like, that's it. They, that's the that's the game breaker right there. Yeah, and they, they still will, they still weren't winning. They will take the game. And I went up and I started the grill, and then Chris came upstairs to tell me that we lost the lead. Now at this point, I'm sick as a dog, and I'm trying I'm trying to be on my best behavior. I'm trying not to drink because I know it's just going to make my illness worse. And at that point, I just started putting rum in my tea. And then at that point, once I ran out of rum in my tea, I just started drinking rum on the rocks out of a coffee <laughs> a coffee. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking, man, to see that. And then the thing that I kind of anchor this whole loss on, because you can point the finger in a million different directions after the team loses. I think one of the largest contributing factors to this was our lack of time of possession. Okay, that directly correlates to our lack of a rushing attack. We ran the ball 22 times for 62 yards. Just one week after rushing for 312 I mean, what the hell is that? We ran for 312 last week and less than 70 this week. In all four of our wins, we had a minimum of 27 rushes for 120 yards. This week. Not only am I giving you the finger right now, you can also look at that as the number of touches Mike Gillisley got in the first half. One. Yeah, look at that. One carry by Mike Gillisley. You know that LaShawn McCoy isn't healthy, and yet you're going to give him the ball seven or eight times and Mike Gillies the ball once? Yeah, That's Ma- not who we are. McCoy was, McCoy's eight carries, 11 yards. Our offensive game plan set us up for failure from the from the get-go. Okay, We have a depleted wide receiver core, and early on the Bills' offensive line was getting manhandled in pass protection. We still chose to stay the course and continue trying to throw the football on more plays than we tried to run it. It just seems counterintuitive to who we are. I mean, that's not how this team is built. We've been built to run the football and to play defense. But you can't play defense if you're on the field for almost 40 minutes of the game. So you need to run the ball and get first downs and execute that part of the game if your defense is going to stay fresh. And we didn't do it. We just didn't do it. And I mean, I know that missing a lot of, you know, as many playmakers as we have out of the lineup, it doesn't make your job as an offensive coordinator easy. But Jesus Christ, play to your strengths when you're winning the game. It's it's just, it blew my mind. And it was something that took me, as Chris stated, I need a couple days to cool down. It took me a day or two to cool down from that. And that brings us to our hero and zero of the game. The hero of the game this week is Lorenzo Alexander. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Now, I honestly thought about giving this award to Laurenti McRae, but I couldn't justify calling a special team or the hero of the game, even though he deep, he was solid. Dude, what are you talking about? Special teams is a third of the game. 
<laughs> I just, I couldn't justify it. And I couldn't think of a single player on the offense who really stood out to me as deserving of it either. Jordan Mills. <laughs> oh, God. So I went with the guy responsible for just a bunch of big hits on special teams and the guy who is still leading the NFL in sacks. Nine sacks. And seems like pretty sound logic to me. And then you've got the zero of the game, which if you can't see this coming a mile away, you're blind, hanging out with Stevie Wonder too much. Anthony Lynn. You blew it! I mean, this this award could have gone to a lot of people, considering Wood was the lowest-ranked center, according to Pro Football Focus. Mills kind of sucked. And Tyrod's accuracy was questionable at best in the fourth quarter when the game was on the line. And you last week against the 49ers, you put out that you didn't like Lynn's play calling in the third, getting cute. And I think there were times during the Dolphins game we were also getting cute. 100%. No, he... Our struggles came from the fact that we looked disorganized on multiple occasions in offense. I mean, how many times was Tyrod barely getting the snap off before the clock went? That's play calling. He doesn't have the call yet. He's got to communicate it. And then at the same time, it's a bad play call. Run the damn ball. If you know you don't have the wide receivers to try to beat an NFL defense, don't get cute and try to trick them into thinking you're running. Just run the friggin' ball. Trust that your offensive line can do their job. Right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Yep. So at the end of the day, Anthony Lynn, you are my zero of the week. And that brings us, boys and girls who are still here with me after all my friggin' rambling, to the AFC East Roundup. Every team in the AFC East, besides the Bills, won this week, which clearly doesn't do us any favors. This is why I can... I've never... I've not seen, like, in the Buffalo Bills Fanatics group or any message board... uh, People stating why they're pissed off when we're four and three. Do you know how bad I would trade a Jets and Ravens win for 49ers and Rams losses? We're, we're one, we're, we're one and three in the division or not in the division in the conference. Oh, nice. We're, Drew showing me a tweet from his lady. My girlfriend is asking me to research and report back to her as to whether or not Richard Sherman actually explained his Halloween costume at this week's press conference. Well, I love her, ladies and gentlemen. She, she, she's thinking about football and hockey when I'm not even home. That's, that's a special lady. That's sexy right there. See, getting back to what I said, four and three, would you not take Rams and 49ers losses and replace them with a Jets and Ravens win? Because if we get if we're week 12 or six and five or five and six, oh, 100%. in the hunt, we, 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 we don't have, the, we don't have those. We, we, 100%, we don't have those. We 100% lost the games that we really needed to win when it comes to landing a wild card, which yeah. ultimately we're not going to get those tiebreakers. Yeah. Ultimately we weren't winning this division. See, it reminds me of like two years ago, Doug Marone's last year, nine and seven, four and zero oh against the NFC North. Yeah, what does that do for yeah. you, though? We weren't when we're losing to Oakland at the end of the season. That's not helping us get in the playoffs because we're already four and zero against the NFC North. Those are <laughs> empty wins. Well, let's take a look around the league, around the division and see how everybody else did. I mean, it starts with the New York Jets. I mean, we all know. Well, first off, we all know how the Miami Dolphins did, and I'm sorry if any Dolphins fans are out there listening, but I don't feel like talking about it anymore because honestly. I'll end up just drinking the rest of this 12-pack and falling asleep with all these cold meds I'm on on Chris's living room floor. So the New York Jets started Geno Smith at home against the Ravens this week, only to lose him to an ACL tear midway through the first half. 
They still got problems on their hand. Who's the backup? Petty Hackenberg? <sighs> Petty Hackenberg? Jesus Christ. So that led to the unceremonious return of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's like a bad joke on their fans. He went on. I will give him that. He went on to lead them to a 24-16 to victory over the Ravens, who seemed to have just fallen off of a cliff. You know, they were 3-0, and and now they're 3-4. and And then, hilariously, for everyone out there who, like, who likes the Jets, I find this comical. Fitzpatrick took a shot at his coach and GM after the game. The biggest thing in this game in order to last is to have belief in yourself, you know, because when the owner stops believing in you and the GM stops believing in you and coaches stop believing in you, sometimes all you have is yourself. So, um, you know, that's kind of something I've had to deal with before, something I'm dealing with now. And, uh, you know, I just do my best to prepare and, and be the best quarterback I can be. And it took, you know, it took me a couple of days. And I told, you know, I told Gino, I told a couple of guys, like, I'm going to need a couple of days for this one just to let it sink in. And, you know, again, going back to me being human and not just being a robot. Uh, but, yeah, there's, I mean, there's strong emotion there for me, especially, you know, not knowing if that was the last time I was going to be out there as a starter or not and starting to think about some of that stuff. You know, like I said, people, you know, giving up on you and then having to see them every day, that stuff's not necessarily the easiest in the world. But, you know, something that uh, you try to deal with as mature as you can and uh, move on. That audio comes from NFL.com. Okay, let, let, let's, take, let, let's pump the brakes and take a step back and just take a look at everything that he just said. First off, Fitz, you sound like a jilted ex-girlfriend. Oh, you know, I'm going to have to see those people. You know, they just made this decision, and now I'm going to have to see them around the facility and see them at practice. What are you, my ex-girlfriend going to the same gym that I go to? Oh, he dumped me, and now I'm going to have to see him at the gym. You're a professional football player. Okay. It almost seems like he believes that he's somehow vindicated by winning this football game from weeks of garbage football. Garbage football. You ask our friends over at AFC East Pros Podcast or the Jet Take Podcast. what or they Jet think Nation of, Radio, the, Joe Blewett. Any of them. What they think about Ryan Fitzpatrick. They couldn't have cared if he hopped on the first bus and just left after they benched him. They well, wouldn't have cared. Well, I mean, let's let's, let's look at it a, bi- a bigger picture. Our fans and listeners of this podcast are happy that Fitz is back in the saddle because that means your Seagram's bet is back on. Oh Jesus Christ! You know, I thought that I thought that it was dead. I thought it was over. No, no. <laughs> and they do play Cleveland this week. So, oh my God! If it happens this week, guys, I I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be ugly. But so, speaking of Fitz, you know, because that's the thing. If Fitz Tragic can find his way back to being Fitz Magic, the Jets could maybe turn their season around. I mean, I think what you're seeing out of the Jets is how much Eric Decker meant to their game. Not having Eric Decker has really hurt them. You know, he wasn't playing at 100% before he went out with the shoulder injury. So he went out. Now, you know, he's done for the year, or at least he's on IR. Maybe they'll bring him back. I mean, at this point, I, they, I mean, they play the Browns, then they play Miami, and then they play the Rams. If Fitzpatrick can find a way to play the way type of football that he played last season, maybe they have a shot at turning their season around. Maybe. But does anyone out there believe that at this point? At this point in the season, after seeing what he's put up so far? 
look at the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots played the Steelers on the road. And even though he did an above-average job for a backup, Landry Jones wasn't able to stretch at home. And to walk us through this and also help us preview Week 8 against the New, against the New England Patriots is, uh, I guess you'd call him the New England uh, radio personality. PFW in progress <laughs> guest host and prominent <laughs> caller, Christian, Christian Simonelli. Christian, how are you doing tonight? Gentlemen, I'm all right. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, we're we're as good as we can be, man. We're as good as we can be. Understandable. <laughs> so I gotta ask. First off, the Patriots. I imagined when I saw that Roethlisberger wasn't going to play, I assumed that you guys would just cruise through that game, but you guys weren't perfect throughout the course of that. Yeah, huh? That was the prevailing thought around here. It was going to be, uh, you know, a 50 burger blowout. It was going to be, uh, you know, a walk in the park. But, you know, I think I think a lot of us fans around here, including myself, fell into the trap that uh, Pittsburgh was going to be a, a walkover like Cleveland and have no spine. But Pittsburgh uh, certainly, you know, played very well. Um, you know, they made plays on on defense to keep it close there for a little bit. The offense obviously didn't cash in cash in enough, but they kept it close for, you know, almost a full three quarters. Well, I got some notes here and some things I want to ask you about that game. So first off, you guys had no pass rush. But I got to ask, how much of that was by design? Because it seems like you guys kind of came into the game plan with this. You guys kind of came into, came into the game with this plan that you were going to, you know, confuse Landry Jones instead of let you know instead of rushing him and blitzing him and making him just try to find the open man as quickly as possible you guys gave him time in the pocket and just dared him to beat you yeah I mean I think a lot of it was by design you know I think a lot of the times when Belichick goes into these games against quarterbacks that he does that he doesn't know or he thinks quarterbacks that are that are inexperienced it's all right you know can you drive 80 yards and and not make a mistake and score a touchdown and, you know, Landry Jones proved that he couldn't do that. You know, um, you know he got in once, but there was, you know, a series of you know, field goals otherwise. Um, a turnover threw a bad ball, a really bad ball to Antonio Brown that uh, Malcolm Butler picked off in the end zone, was underthrown, should have never even threw it. So I think that was the, the, the thought going in. Most of the day they rushed three, uh, didn't blitz, you know, at all. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty much the thinking. I think that was the game plan. Would have been a different game plan if Roethlisberger was in there. I can assure you of that. Oh, absolutely. Now on the flip side of the ball, the offensive line. It, it. I mean, it seems like they struggled through a lot of that game. I mean, specifically Nate Solder. Yeah, it was a maddening game. Brady Brady didn't get sacked, but Brady was running for his life a lot the first half. And in particular, like you said, Nate Solder had a couple of, uh, you know, I think he had three or four uh, calls on him. And he had back-to-back holding penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't have, you know, uh, you know, a good day by any means. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they put up 27 on the road, and they came out with a victory. Well, then that's what matters, right? And yep. the other thing I noticed when I was, because I'll admit it, I rewatched the game. <laughs> because when it was happening, I was still too pissed off about the Bills to actually watch football anymore. Sure. We had wide receivers who – you guys had wide receivers who were kind of struggling to get open in the passing game. Now, I, I, that, that might be a byproduct. Here's, a, here's the only pass I'm willing to give on that. That could be a byproduct of the fact that the Steelers' defensive play calling, they played to the wide receivers to shut down Brady 
which explains why Blunt just beat them to death on the ground. And I think he's a big part of the reason why you guys won that game. Yeah, um, you know, they were able to certainly get the running game going. I mean, you look at what Miami did to them the week before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, for a long period of time in this game, especially the first half, um, you know, the wide receivers – weren't doing weren't getting separation i mean julian edelman had had uh 10 targets he had nine catches for 60 something yards and each time he caught the caught the ball he was tackled right at the spot mm-hmm. and i still don't think he's right i don't think he's 100 percent. and you know when you get lawrence timmons tackling you at the spot and you're not out running that guy yeah. um you know, the whole offense is based around yards after the catcher. So it's what I told you guys before. Oh, you yeah. know, it's about creating the mismatches in the field. And that really wasn't working. So they went to the running game, and it was very successful. Oh, it definitely worked for you guys. So that brings us, you know, obviously the Pats are coming in here with only one loss on the season. They're looking to avenge it. That brings us to our Week 8 preview, boys and girls. Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots. <laughs> All right, guys, the New England Patriots are coming in here into Buffalo to take on our Buffalo Bills. It's all going down at New Era Field at 1 p.m. The weather looks like it's going to be about 54 degrees, 60% chance of rain, and 15-mile-per-hour winds. They're bringing Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, possibly the two, two of the most evil people on the face of the earth. I mean, just pure concentrated evil. It's hate. <laughs> they, they, they're, just, they're, they're both so filled with hate. Do we know who's officiating yet? Oh, no, I haven't seen the officiating call yet. Christian. Yes. Is it? Am I out of line if I were to say that Bill Belichick, after all these years, he strikes me as Emperor Palpatine, and Tom Brady is his Darth Vader? Nope, and I love Star Wars, and I absolutely love the comparison. <laughs> it's dead it's dead on you couldn't be more accurate I mean it's it's incredible what the two of them have been able to accomplish together it's it's when we look at them that's how we look at it like we're the this ragtag bunch of football players trying to beat the empire of the, the New England Patriots oh it's a, yep. it's it's brutal Pretty much the AFC East is the rebellion and the Patriots are, uh, they're they're the empire. So yeah, pretty much. Oh, it's brutal. It's, you know, I'll tell you one thing and I say this all the time. It never gets old. It never, ever gets old. Them going out there and playing and playing, uh, great football. Um, I'm going to miss it because it's a lot closer to the end than it is the the beginning. So I try to soak it up as much as I can. Oh, as you should, man. And you know what? I'm yeah. one of those people who, in, in my in my younger days, I used to hate, just hate the you Patriots. Tell, did you tell Christian that uh, your was it your tailgate story? Like you let you can't you left after the game and the Patriots won and like you punched somebody's rearview mirror. No, my friend punched out my taillight. My friend punched out my taillight wow. after a Patriots loss. My car. Patriots win. The Patriots win. We lost. I come outside, and he's pacing around, and he's like, oh, I cut my hand. And then I look, and I go, oh, my taillight's broken. What the fuck happened? And he's like, oh, yeah, about that. So, oh, dude, man. what the hell? It was one of those moments that really kind of puts it in perspective for you. I have now, I will say, I, I, I there is no chair or coffee table that's safe within, <laughs> you know, within arm's reach. 
when the Buffalo Bills are playing football, or Alabama for that matter. But the fact is, I'm not going to go destroying property. I'm not going to go flipping out about it. And I will admit this. Your guys, the guys over at PatsPulpit.com, I'm going to give them a shout-out because I'll tell you what. I've never met a better bunch of guys to tailgate with in my entire life. I reached out to them. We were trying to coordinate for this game. I'm hoping to hear from them at some point this week. What's happened is that the last couple of years, they've tailgated in our parking lot. And they, these guys come from everywhere. I mean, there was a couple mm-hmm. last year who were on their honeymoon, and this was the start of their honeymoon. They came wow. to Ralph Wilson Stadium to watch the Bills play the Patriots. Wow. And they were all friendly. No one was it. That's the one thing I'll give Patriots fans. A lot of you guys aren't dicks about the fact that you've just absolutely crushed us over the years. No, we're not. I mean, a lot of fans, you know, even you know, even myself. I mean, when you go and play Buffalo, you know, you go up there. It's it's a it's a great environment for football. No matter what the team is, I think it's always a tough place to play to really get to start. You know, to to get going because the crowd gets into it early, and I think that you know the design of the stadium has a lot to do with that. With how close you are to the to the players. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I I'd say it's you know I I, I respect every team. You know that they play, and certainly, you know the AFC East East teams. Um, you know, I was telling the guys on the uh, on uh, AFC East pros. You know, Miami would be the best home field advantage if they ever had a good team because of the humidity. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and then they've started using that to their advantage by yeah shading their yeah. own bench and leaving the other yeah, we, guys out in the sun, which yeah. it's a five degree difference, but it's huge. Yeah, we brought that up yeah. earlier in the in the podcast when we talked about the Dolphins game because I remember hearing you say something about the. Humidity this morning when I listened to the AFC East Bros podcast. Every year the Patriots have gone down there. If they've had Super Bowl teams, if they had wagons, hell, the first game of the 2014 season they got blown out down there. It's the humidity. It's absolutely the humidity. You can't tell me anything otherwise. It's the heat definitely plays because a role. Because if you play down there in plays, November, if you play down there in November, it's not nearly as bad. I know, but even then, they still they, it's it's still a change from you know being forty degrees oh, yeah, up here. Being forty, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's you against us this week, and you guys are coming in with a chip on your shoulder, even if you won't admit it, because we did beat you for the very first time in franchise history in a game that mattered in Gillette Stadium. Yeah, we don't count that week seventeen. I, no one garbage. here who's an actual fan counts that win against Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> As a victory. The only one who did was Doug Marone, and he's not here anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. so ultimately, this is like – I have a feeling, and I see it, and this is almost what happened the year of the uh, Spygate scandal. I've seen this movie before. Yep. You shit on Tom Brady. You, you, know, you, you make the Patriots eat some crow. You do what you can to put them down in the offseason. And once the bullets start flying, the Patriots do everything that they can to just shove it up everybody's ass. I mean, that's that's it. That's it. They they come out and they kick everyone's teeth in, and they just march. Like yeah, the, I mean, kind of like the Imperial, <laughs> kind of like the Empire. That's right. Wipe them out, all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously Brady didn't play in that first game. But, uh, you know, it was clear today from Belichick's press conference that, you know, uh, you know, quote, the last time we played them, um, you know, getting shut out at home, um, you know, at that point, certainly going to be driven 
uh, driven home to the team and Brady coming back. Uh, yeah, they're definitely going to look to, to take it to you. I mean, I just, I think, you know, and, and talked about it yesterday, you guys are so depleted right now with injuries, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I looked at the injury report today. I didn't know if it was the injury report or if it was the roster. Oh, I know. So long. Oh, I couldn't believe how long it was. It's brutal. I mean, we are, we are missing a number of the most important players on our team. Yeah. It's just it's incredible how how banged up this team is. And and I think it exposes last year and I, and this is a point that I've been meaning to make throughout the podcast. I'm going to stop and make it right now. The reason that Terry Pagula came out and endorsed Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan is because if you think back to last season, when did things really fall apart for our defense? They fell apart because we lost our linebackers. And by midseason, we were starting guys who were waiver wire pickups. Kevin Reddick. Kevin Reddick was a starting linebacker of the Buffalo. A.J. Tarpley was a starting linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. Tony Stewart. So what did they do? They went out this season and addressed our depth at linebacker. And it's they our best position. They addressed our depth on the defensive line. They addressed yep. our depth at safety. And you're seeing our defense rebound because of it. Yep. So... This is the season where now our offense is the one being decimated by injuries. And you're seeing it. You're saying, okay, so we only have two or three playmakers on that side of the ball. Let's go out and let's restock that offense. And then maybe we, we can make a run at this. Because that's that's been my takeaway from all of these injuries. It's shifted now from defense to offense as far as what you need to upgrade in order to field a constantly competitive unit. Because the Patriots have been doing it for forever. Yep. That's one of the benefits of having a Hall of Fame quarterback. But mm. even you as a Patriots fan, you have to admit, when you guys get down to your backups to your backups, you notice the drop-off in play. Oh, yeah, there's no question. I mean, and, you know, it's you know everybody always ra- raves about the depth of the Patriots. But listen, having a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, hides a lot of things. And not just on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side of the ball as well. But I think that what you know, I think that what the Patriots do almost as well as anybody in the league in the offseason is they self scout and they do a whole lot of scouting just on their guys, so that when they go out in the into the draft, but not so it's really not so much into the draft. It's when they go out into free agency, you know, they target guys for backup positions. So, you know, and you go out and you trade for a guy like Martellus Bennett or on the offensive side of the ball when you add uh, a guy, you know, like a Chris Hogan who seems to seems to have found a little bit of a niche in the wide receiver position, you know, runs the, you know, sort of the, the, the offense that the Patriots like where he can play all over the field versus just one position. That's where the depth comes into play. But when you have, I mean, you, you can only have so many bodies at one position. And when you start losing guys left and right, it, it's going to catch up to you no matter what. See, I can't tell you how many times I've seen on uh, Buffalo Bills message board or the Buffalo Bills fanatics group of how many people look at what Chris Hogan's done in a few of his games. I think there was a game where he had over 100 yards. And people the Cleveland are, game. Yeah. yeah, people are irritated that, that he's gone. I, I'm, you cannot, like, I know we're depleted at receiver. We don't have Bob Woods. We don't have Sammy Watkins. The quarterback mm-hmm. makes the receivers, and it's a perfect example. You get Chris Hogan over to New England. Tom Brady's thrown in the ball, and all of a sudden he's having a 100-yard game. The quarterback 
makes the receiver. The receiver will never make the quarterback. So the fact that I don't really look at that as something that's 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 like a as you know in the tank with Woods being injured, Watkins being injured. Tyrod Taylor should make his receivers. I mean, Justin Hunter had like a two or three game stretch of of a touchdown. You know, Tyrod has to make the receivers. The receivers do not make the quarterback. That's why Chris Hogan leaves, goes to New England. Tom Brady's throwing him the friggin' football. He's, of course he's going to have a 100-yard game and a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, and the Patriots have a laundry list of the guys. Just go, just go look at the guys that they had. Remember a couple of years ago, Brandon Lloyd. Yeah, Brandon made, LaFell. Made, made Brandon Lloyd that year. Brandon Lloyd didn't do crap after that. Yeah, or Brand, um, Brandon LaFell. Brandon LaFell, another perfect example. Brandon LaFell. That 2014 year was immense. He was just as responsible as as Gronk was for the. You remember the touchdown catches he had against the Ravens in the playoff game. He had a touchdown catch in the Super Bowl. Played great. Yeah, I'm not. I'm but not again. He's with Brady. I'm not taking that as an excuse when when I read sure. on, on message boards. We're down yeah. Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods. Well, you know what? It's a passing league. Your quarterback's going to make the receivers. All right. So I'm I'm yep. not no, I'm not going to be down on Sammy and Woods injury. Tyrod's got to make his receiving core better, and right now he's not finding anybody. <laughs> right. He couldn't hit yep. sand if he fell off a camel. Well, Goodwin's <laughs> out too, right? Oh, yeah, Goodwin good, is yeah, out Goodwin too. Goodwin is out with a concussion. <clears throat> he's in the Again. concussion protocol. Well, Glass he, Goodwin. He could be cleared, but I don't I don't see it happening. Yeah. So that brings us to our offensive scouting report section of the game preview. Now. Gonna ask you. First off, we touched on it a little bit before. Uncharacteristic struggles for the Patriots offensive line. You guys have been great this season, especially since Brady came back. You know, I've always believed that a good quarterback can make his offensive line look better. You know, Peyton Manning did it. Brady's done it for years. So even with Brady, your offensive line has struggled in spots. I mean, you've got Marcus Cannon. He's a liability, and he's good for at least one penalty a game, right or wrong. Absolutely. You know, my thoughts on Cannon. Don't get me started. <laughs> oh, I love it, Simonelli. I, 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 I picked him first. I picked him first. <laughs> I know why. I know. <laughs> All right. So he, Christian Simonelli has a thing against Marcus Cannon. Like he really uh, – I feel like he has a personal vendetta against Marcus Cannon. No, I, I only call him his middle, by his middle name, Turnstile. <laughs> I was just, I was just, Christian is just a little irritated. I, I just dropped my headphones and stepped away from the mic for a second, and I'm, I'm in the other room, and I, and I hear Drew say, "I'm sorry with Marcus Cannon." I was like, "Ah, I want my headphones in," because last time I brought up Marcus Cannon to Christian, he just like went off on him. He was the best. Came right back. Yep. So clearly, Marcus Cannon's a liability. I mean, hopefully for you guys, he won't be in there much longer. Eh? Well. Uh, you know, barring a trade, he is the right tackle. Uh, that's why I'm curious to see if they're going to do anything before Tuesday's deadline. They already made some minor moves by getting uh, trading away A.J. Derby at the side end position and getting a linebacker from uh, from Detroit. So I am curious to see if they're going to address it. You know, there's been rumors out there about Joe Staley and Joe Thomas. Do you get one of those guys and then move Solder over to right tackle, which he has played some? He played some in his rookie year. Uh, don't know, but I would love for them to upgrade the tackle position. Well, and you're talking about Solder. He had a rough day against Pittsburgh. I mean, he got manhandled. What happened? He's usually good for a game or two like that a year. 
Um, even in 2014, uh, he got owned by Dwight Freeney in a San Diego game late in the year. And, uh, you know, it didn't look good. He, 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 Solder's like that. And then Solder will come out the next game and you'll see him absolutely just mauling people in the running game. So, um, so here's a question. That, does he struggle more with power or does he struggle with speed? He definitely struggles more with speed. He's a pretty strong guy. He's tall. He's got really good leverage. He plays with really good leverage. But speed's definitely the thing that, that, uh, that, that he struggles with. So, they get, so then him against Jerry Hughes might actually be something that plays in the Bills' favor. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yep. And then yep. I look back at the Cincinnati game. They got consistent pressure. I mean, they finished the game with three sacks. That's probably been the most he's taken in a game since last season. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, what do you think is causing this kind of, I don't want to call it disarray on the offensive line. I'm just saying that from the Patriots we all know, what do you, what do you think it is that's causing this kind of subpar offensive line play? I really think it's the receivers not getting separation in the passing game. I really do. I think it, again, Edelman just doesn't look right to me. You know, Edelman with nine catches should have over 100 yards. Did Julian Edelman a two years ago, or the Wes Welker in his prime, would have had over 100 yards last Sunday. Okay? Danny Amendola, he is, at this point, apparently he's strictly a backup. He's only in there, you know, occasionally. I mean, he had a two-touchdown game against the Dolphins earlier in the year, and then it's like you haven't seen him since. So not sure what's going on with him. Hogan and Mitchell, eh, they are what they are. You know, at this point, I was expecting a, a little bit more from Malcolm Mitchell than we've gotten. Um, he's got a little hamstring thing right now. He had the dislocated elbow to start the year where he got a dislocated elbow in a second preseason game. I watched so got, that happen in real time, and I'll be honest, oh, I was disgusted. It, yeah, was, it was gross. I thought he was done. Oh, yeah, I thought, year. no, in my head, I told my girlfriend, I go, that's a broken elbow. He'll, he won't be playing this year. And when I saw he was back, yeah. I'm like, Jesus, that's a tough dude. I was stunned. Yeah, he was back with the brace, I know. So, but for a rookie to miss the time that he missed in training camp, yeah. even though we came back, it hurt him. It's, it, it hurt him. So, I mean, it, that's, you know, I think that's where the struggles lie on the offensive line is, is really, you know, they talk about it. It's a cliche. They talk about everything working together. But I think that's what it is, is that the, wide, the, 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 the skill position players, particularly the wide receivers, just aren't getting open. Um, you know, Sunday, it was like they didn't want to throw to Gronk and, and Bennett until they had to. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, it's 14 to 13. Uh, excuse me, it's 14 to uh, to 10 to come out the second half. Pittsburgh gets the ball. Uh, excuse me, the Patriots got the ball, and they go 3-0. Yep. Pittsburgh gets the ball. They drive down the field. They kick a field goal. Now it's like, okay, now we get a game on our hands. Yep. It's into the third quarter. What do the Patriots do? Vintage Patriots offense. Get the ball, 75 down years, <laughs> 75 uh, yards right down the field. Yep. Brady to Gronk. Hello. Found Gronk. Gronk woke up, and, and that was really the game. So um, – you know, it was like they they weren't going to go to the the Titans that game, and then it was like, all right, uh, we kind of have to because you know what we're trying to do isn't working, except for the running game. The running game worked. Oh well, and speaking of the running game, Blunt is having a career year again. For, for as much as we've talked about your offensive line <laughs> struggling, he's got eight touchdowns in the season and multiple one hundred yard rushing games. I mean, yeah. well, what the hell is that? Well, I, you know, I'm as surprised as anybody. And if it, Blunt is a polarizing player in the Wigan Patriot Nation, some people love him, 
other people just just think he's a jag and he is what he is. Um, so he's definitely surprising, pleasantly surprising. You know, a lot of the naysayers. Um, I think the the offensive line with particular at the guard position with Tooney and uh, Mason in there has really uh, helped. Um, it'd be curious to see what a guy like Trey Jackson may be able to add to that uh, when he gets healthy. But I think that those two positions have been uh, have been solid. Uh, David Andrews has been okay. There's been some games where he hasn't looked good at all. Um, but in particular in the run game, the offensive line is playing a lot better than they did a year ago. They're not just getting to the guys in front of them, but they're doing a really good job of getting to the, those guys in the second level. And when you can get a hat on those linebackers, that's really what's helping Blunt. Um, they weren't getting to the second level last year a lot at all because they couldn't get past the first level. They were so bad. So getting past the defensive line into the uh, linebacking core and blocking those linebackers is, is helping a lot. Now, I have to ask, though. I mean, if you see – and I get it that some of his touchdowns and a lot of his stats came during that first – four-week span where Tom Brady was, wasn't was under center. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, it's Sorry. a byproduct of being sick. So I got to ask, given that this is how he's been playing so far this season and the fact that they're content to I – mean, I mean, I'll say it again. I think that Blunt won you guys that Steelers game. I firmly believe his play played a huge role – in you guys winning that game, because if he doesn't dominate on the ground, I mean their their defense would have kept you guys. It would have kept the game a lot closer than it was. I will say, and maybe maybe you still win, but it would have been a lot closer than it was. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Um, he had his best game of the year on Sunday, uh, no doubt about it. He played great, and he the, the you know every run was an excellent run. You know, it wasn't a pitter-patter. He was really hitting the hole when he needed to. He was making his cuts to the outside. His vision was excellent. Um, the game against the Dolphins, uh, when they needed to have him run in the second half and they needed a clock kill and drive, and the Dolphins knew that they that the Patriots needed to run and they stacked the box, he ran against them that time too. And he ate up a lot of the clock, and that ended up, you know, helping the Patriots hold on for the victory there because Miami stormed back in the second half. So, so here's the thing. So do you think there's going to be a philosophy change for the Patriots, or do you think it's Brady's offense and then Blunt just plays a part? Or do you think that it's kind of leaning towards, hey, maybe we're going to do a 50-50 split, maybe we're going to see more run than pass? I think it's game plan specific at the end of the day. It wouldn't surprise me if he came out this week and threw the ball 50 times against the Bills. And then he plays a team like the Colts, and they run it 40 times against the Colts. I really do. Right. Um, more and more, I think that, you know, again, Brady wasn't in the, in the in the Dolphin game. So, but I think that Bill realizes that, you know, you can't develop a running game in Week 16 in Miami with Steven Jackson like you tried to do last year. <laughs> okay. No, no, that was you know, I think I You know, I think we all know how that turned out, and, and that's not a good idea. So I think that Bill doing this early – and emphasizing the run early and, and showing that they can do it early is a great thing for them to have come playoff time. Oh, absolutely. And so then we're going to wrap up this uh, offensive uh, preview, you know, offensive Q&A with the fact that Brady's just frigging good. Okay? He's played enough games to qualify for most passing metrics, and he now leads the NFL. I'm going to read them off to you. I hate that guy. <laughs> he, he leads the league in passer rating. He has a 132.6 passer rating. 
His completion percentage, 75.3, is good for first place. His touchdown percentage of 7.9 is number one. Yards per attempt, 9.9 per throw. Okay? He's, again, leading the league, and he's tied for the NFL lead with interceptions at zero. Now, I've read reports that your wide receivers are struggling, and you, but look at that. I mean, how, what do you say? The guy, your quarterback is dominating, and yet people are talking about your wide receivers struggling. Is there any truth to that? I mean, what's that about? Well, like I said, you know, I didn't think that Edelman has has looked himself. You know, certainly the tight ends have been otherworldly when they've been called upon. I think that James White has done a pretty good job out of the backfield. I really wasn't a big White fan, but in the absence of Deion Lewis, he's you know he's he's made some really good plays. He did last year, and he's certainly making plays. Uh, you know, this year uh, with Lewis out. So I think that Brady, as usual, is spreading it around, uh, you know, and that's why his numbers look so good. Even though the wide receivers haven't been haven't been, uh, you know, the usual, you know, yards after the catch self. <laughs> All right, well, that's fair, I guess. But Jesus Christ! Yeah. So, like I said, this looks like vintage pissed off Tom Brady, just coming back to take everyone take everyone to the cleaners. It does. You know, I don't think it's going to be quite the blowout that you mentioned in 07 where they hang 56 on them in that Sunday night game. Oh. But, uh, you know, I think it, I, you know, I said probably like 31-10, something like that. I just think the injuries are just too much for you guys to overcome. I really do. No. So that brings us to our defensive scouting report. Now, I've got some concerns about your defense that maybe you didn't have, and maybe I see some things that you don't. First off, lack of pressure coming from the defensive line. You guys are currently ranked 24th in sacks. You've only got 11. The Bills are number two with 21. I got to ask the question, is that because of your personnel? Or is it because of just how you've gone after your last couple offenses? I mean, you played against the Browns, inexperienced quarterbacks. You played against um, the Steelers, Landry Landry Jones. Jones. Again, you, you admitted earlier. The game plan revolved, and that's what I saw, was a game plan that revolved around keeping him in the pocket and kind of almost hoping he would throw you guys interceptions. So, and I mean, then you have Cincy, who's, their offensive line is nothing to sneeze at. You know, they're a decent offensive line. So, what do you think is leading to the lack of pressure from the defensive line specifically for you guys? Um, I, I Patriot Nation would probably get mad, but I just don't think they're very good. <laughs> I think they're an average group. I think that that Nikovich being out with those first four games certainly hurt. Uh, I think Chris Long has been okay. I was expecting a lot more out of Trey Flowers. I haven't seen it. Chandler Jones, while um, you know he, he he wasn't as good as a lot of people made him out to be, he was a true edge rusher, mm-hmm. and they really don't have. <clears throat> They they don't have that. They have they have um, you know good interior presence with uh, with 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 Branch when teams try to run, you know, uh, and and certainly they've been able to stop you know stop you know, the, the run up the middle. But um, they need to get creative when they get pressure, and typically it comes in the form of the linebackers, whether it's Collins or Hightower blitzing through the through that a gap. Uh, you know, you saw in the uh, in the Cincinnati game where, where Hightower had. That uh, blitz right up the middle, you know, it was a, a fumble recovery. They get the safety, and then ultimately from there on out, you know, that was the game. 
So I just I just don't think I we really around here we really hyped up the front seven as being like a top five <clears throat> unit, and so far uh, the the you know that really that front line not not the front seven in particular with the linebackers but really the defensive line has been I think has been a disappointment to this point. Um, I think it's a lot more to do with talent than it is with scheme. So here's uh, so, hold on I came I think it was last week's podcast or it might have been the uh, Facebook Live on Saturday. But I name-dropped somebody that Christian just mentioned, Rob Ninkovich, who didn't play in the first Bills game. And I, while I didn't say he would be a huge difference maker for this game, I still think Rob Ninkovich is going to have some kind of impact on the Bills-Patriots game on Sunday. Because Drew laughed at me when I said Ninkovich. Well, um... You know, the defensive line had a good game against Buffalo last year in Buffalo. Then they sacked Taylor like you know, so it was like five or six times in that in that in that game. In that game in week two. And I think Nikovich had a was in his face a lot that day, so maybe. But I just haven't seen it this year yet. I'll I'll say this. And I guess it's a legitimate question. How would you Okay, so now I need you to put your hand on for a second. Think about this. What would you do with Rob Ninkovich coming back off an injury like that? Would you play him in just an edge rusher role, or would you roll him out as an every-down player? Well, um, you know, I would just substitute him, and I would I would make him a situational player. But the problem is, is that Patriots have had injuries at the linebacker position. One week Hightower's out, one week Collins is out, and he's yep. had Belichick has had Ninkovich in there at outside linebacker. Yep. You know, and then other plays he's having them rush at end. So um, Shane McClellan has been a huge disappointment at the linebacker position. He's done well, absolutely nothing. Since that was he's been one here. of those things that I understood. I didn't understand what you guys thought you were getting in him when when I saw I, that they acquired I, I Shane McClellan. Yeah. I was like, well, he was a he was a he was a first round pick that never should have been. Okay, yeah, he's a guy that never deserved to be in the first round, and then he got drafted, and then he disappointed in Chicago and. I feel like there's this mentality in New England that you guys can just take on all these projects and turn well, them Belichick, into gold. <laughs> yeah, Belichick loves that. I, there's no doubt in my mind. Belichick absolute, absolutely got – You know, we like to use the term around here when you talk about a player and you talk about at the excitement forum. Uh, local sports talk radio uses it a lot. You know, I think Belichick, when he realized he was a free agent, got a little Shane McClellan in his pants because <laughs> he saw a player who could play defensive end, and then he played outside linebacker, and then he played inside linebacker at Chicago. Now he wasn't productive in any of the positions, but he played him. <laughs> so Belichick right away gets excited. Oh, I can use this guy, and he's just he missed some time. He had some injuries early on in training camp, but he's been nothing. They traded Flamingo in like the third or fourth preseason game. He, you know, he's been on special teams. The couple yeah, of plays say, that he, he was in, he's gotten good. burned. <laughs> he hasn't been good. Yeah, so they, I mean, they, they, their depth at linebacker is hurting. So, you know, I think that's also, you know, hurting the defense as well. So the next thing that I want to touch on is your secondary. Now, you've got Malcolm Butler. He's leading the NFL. Malcolm Butler, that guy's an asshole. Can I, I hate come that guy. Say, can, I hate, can I say that I hate that guy? <laughs> I hate that guy. He, he comes you guys hate a lot of pats. <laughs> oh, do you blame me? He comes nope. out of fucking nowhere. He's leading the NFL in pass breakups, and he's second in pass, pass coverage metrics, according to Pro Football Focus. 
Logan Ryan, he's been solid, but you guys thought so much of Eric Rowe that you slid him to the slot. And now Eric Rowe is getting a lot of playing time on the outside. And then you've got Patrick Chung, who even when he was banged up, came back and made plays. The fact is, is your secondary is balling out right now. Yeah, um, you know, the, the big surprise last week was Rowe starting opposite uh, Butler. You know, uh, Eric Rowe, Rowe went from being inactive to playing uh, every snap on defense last week. And you kicked Logan Ryan into the slot, which a lot of people argue he's actually better in the slot. You know, I think he's an average cornerback at best. I don't think he's anything special. I think that, you know, if a ball gets thrown, you know, near him and he catches it, he gets an interception. But he gets beat in an awful lot of plays. Um, Butler's been been excellent. Patrick Chung, his, in his second stint here, um, since he came back, has been very good, you know, going after the guys over the middle of the field at, at tight end and, and you know, the backs and stuff. So he's been, he's been pretty good uh, since he's been back. I mean, so I guess I got to ask you, though. There's one thing I take away now, <laughs> like Chris always likes to tell, I love breaking down metrics. I like looking at stats. I look game over game over game, and I compare them, and I watch the film, and I watch to see if there's situations that might have caused the statistics. Because yep. causation doesn't, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation. Sure. So I like to look at those things before I start to draw, you know, before I draw conclusions. Here's what I see is that the New England Patriots have a deep ball issue. In Cincinnati, five catches, 134 yards. Against Cleveland, four deep catches. Now, these are all passes of more than 20 yards. Four catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown. Against Pittsburgh, three catches for 103 yards. And that was with you guys playing the pass instead of blitzing. They still connected on 103 yards worth of passes, more than 20 yards. In total, 12 for 329 and one touchdown in the last three games. And those aren't great quarterbacks. Or at least quarterbacks who aren't good at throwing a deep ball. Now, what do you think is driving that? Well, you know... Belichick, uh, you know, has a there's, there's a phrase around here. It's called GTFB, and it's get the bleep back. He always tells his his safeties and his corners when they're playing, you know, a guy that he knows that can get the ball down the field. When you look at a lot of those completions that were made, uh, you know, there was that play to Antonio Brown last week where he beat um, Malcolm Butler on a double move, you know, and he gained like fifty something yards. Yeah. So a lot of those plays have been sort of. Those types of plays, they haven't necessarily been true over-the-top plays. You know, if you remember earlier in the year when Revis got beat by Goodwin, which was just a straight nine route right down the field yep. over the top. Straight you know, nine. so they haven't they haven't had they haven't had those. Uh, you, you know, but more so. But you know, I think that when there's a tendency for Belichick to play that safe and conservative defense, and if a guy breaks a tackle, um, you know, they can get big yards, and I think that's what's happened. Um, you know, he preaches it, like I said, you know, to, you know, to get back and I, I, you know, Devin McCourty got an awful lot of money to be a safety. You know, I think it's, that's another play where I think he, you know, he's, he's, he's better at, at sort of getting people lined up than actually making plays. <laughs> that's another guy that I think that I wouldn't have given that much money. I mean, he was on his way to Philly until Belichick stepped in and upped the offer to keep him here. Um, nice guy, solid Patriot, all that stuff, you know, plays the game the right way, but. 
you know, it just, uh, I, I, it's just maddening sometimes with the, with, with, with the guys that they pay. So um, I gotta ask, is that an area that you think the Bills, considering our, like as you touched on earlier, our just lack of weapons that draw double coverage, do you think the deep game might be something the Bills can exploit? I mean, you know, if you do it early enough and you take a couple of shots deep. And you're going to force, the, you know, McCordy and the safety and you know, O'Harmon to stay back there. Uh, yeah, because I think if you do that, you know, I think you have the potential to open up, you know, some stuff underneath. I mean, what the Bills don't have is what they re- what they really need. You guys need a tight end. You know, I know you get Charles Clay that goes out every now and then, you know, certainly into that role and that H-back role. But if they had a tight end um, – now that would certainly help matters. Hang on, you've been preaching to the cho- you're preaching to the choir because I've been saying for well ever since last year's uh, national championship game, the Buffalo Bills could do well if maybe kind of how they traded into the top of the second round to get uh, kind of get to to get uh, OJ Howard. No, no. <laughs> so, to, so, to get, so to get the linebacker there, the linebacker there, Reggie Raglan. Yep. Make the same type of move to grab yourself an O.J. Howard. The guy is huge. He's got speed. He's got size. He boxes guys out. He can stiff arm. He can run with the ball. The fact is he'll never be a Gronk, but he could be a Martellus Bennett, which might be lined up next to a clay, might be exactly what we need. Christian, that's not going to work because Tyrod Taylor refuses to throw the ball in the middle of the field. (laughs) <laughs> so a tight yeah, end that's... is useless to Tyrod Taylor until we get uh, a quarterback in. Well, we're we're getting off topic. So that so then <laughs> <laughs> so I guess so. So the question is: Do you guys do you see that being a concern for the Patriots defense, or do you think that that's something that they just think that hey, we got this. Hey, we're not worried about the Bills throwing it, even though we know Tyrod Taylor can throw a dime deep. Because that's been his specialty to this point in his career is throwing that deep ball. Yeah, I don't think that worried because who's he throwing it to? Chris. Who, 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 He's throwing who it to Chris. Go deep. He's throwing it to yeah. Chris after he jumps off the – I, I was going to say. I can go deep on skates. I play roller hockey, so if I can get on <laughs> skates, I can go pretty fast. Oh, well, if they allow skates in this game, then you're golden. And so then the other thing I want to bring up just so we can talk about it is the, the Patriots rushing defense. Now, obviously, LaShawn McCoy's hurt, <laughs> which sucks for us. And yep. we have Gillies Lee, who we only gave one carry in the first half of our last game, which, again, sucks. So the Patriots' rush defense has been solid, but after looking through every single one of your games, one stat sticks out to me. Your left defensive end and your defensive tackles against the rush. If you go back to the Buffalo game, Teams that have rushed on you guys have done the majority of the damage running behind left tackle, left guard, and center. Yep. So I, I got to ask, what do you think is causing that? Again, it's that side where you have, um, you know, we really have Chris Long. And Chris Long has been playing a lot more snaps than I would have liked to have seen him play. You know, I thought that, again, a guy like Trey Flowers or even I thought a, a, a third-round draft pick like Geno Grissom, you know, would have had a couple of years to blossom into a role that, that would have helped. Um, I think if you look also closer at those games where teams had the most success were games against where either Hightower or Collins were out. 
and they were going against, you know, uh, a guy like Jonathan Freeney, who's now on IR. Thank God. I wish Cannon would go there with him. Um, or a guy like Eldon <laughs> Roberts, who started the game, started the season out a little, a little, you know, iffy, spotty, but has come on uh, recently. Um, so, you know, I think it's really the really more to do again with the again, it's going back to the lack of depth at the linebacker position. Now, considering at the left side of the line for the Buffalo Bills, the deepest, I mean, that's that is yeah. our veteran talent. Yep. That almost seems like that's the area we're going to try to attack you guys on the ground. You should now. I guess the thing is, given what out of what you've seen from your defense, because you've said it, defense, your offense, it's all game plan specific. What do you think that the Patriots are going to roll out this week to stop the Buffalo Bills offense? I think that they know that the Buffalo you know, will want to keep the ball out of the offense's hands. They'll want to run the ball. I think they'll stack the box. I think you'll see eight in the box. I think you'll see that safety come down into the box, whether it's Harmon or Chung or uh, you know, Jordan Richards or whoever they're going to put back there, although he was inactive last game, Jordan Richards. But um, I think they're going to stack eight in the box. And, and again, they're going to dare Tyrod to pass the ball and make enough plays with his arm, you know, to, 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 to beat them. Yeah, it seems it's, it's worked for every team that's employed it against us. So yep. why wouldn't it work for you guys? So to wrap all this up, I've got to ask – I guess on the offense and defense, I'm going to ask you a general question. I want a couple points on each side. All of the things we've talked about, what weaknesses do you think that your team has, that Buffalo, even with all of its limited capability, what small pieces of your team do you think we might be able to exploit? Well, again, I think if you can get those double moves in and you can take a couple of shots deep early, I think that will open up the game. The, the, the running game for you, I think if you attack the left side of the, like you, like you just said, attack the left, the, the right side of our defense, the left side of your offense, you know, run behind, you know, that side, you know, I think you could get some success there. Um, it's definitely showed, it showed early on this season that those are potential weak spots. Um, you know, but again, you know, you got to have the bodies to do it. <laughs> well, hey, Christian, we appreciate you coming on here so much with us to talk about all this. Guys, this is at Chris, Chris with a with T I A N on Twitter. Christian, do you have the Sunday ticket? I do not. Do not have the Sunday ticket. No, I used to gamble when I had it, but I don't gamble anymore, so I don't have it. <laughs> there you go. Well, Christian, I don't know how much you've listened to our podcast and how much I've plugged it at the end of our show, 506sports.com. Unfortunately, yep. We don't get a game early on Fox. You do out in New England. You're going to be watching Seattle and New Orleans. So when after the second quarter when we're getting our asses handed to us by New England and you're like, this is boring, I want to watch something else, <laughs> you can go over to Fox and watch. You get Seattle at New Orleans. So uh, what I'll, what I'll, there's so many different regions that get the Bills and Patriots this Sunday locally. If for those yep. that don't have the ticket, I'm going to speak sp- specifically to one of our listeners, Sean Soraki, who lives in Texas. Sean, if you don't live in Houston, you get the Bills game locally in Texas. <laughs> Houston, the Houston area and surrounding uh, suburbs, they're going to get whoever uh, they're gonna, they're getting San Diego and Denver. All of Texas gets Buffalo and New England. 
so many other wow. states that it's it's the predominant game that you will see on CBS. Wow! See, they wow. they expect the Bills to shock the world, and we get or may, or may, or maybe they're just masochists, and not masochists. They're just sadists, and they want to be like, okay, we showed the Bills beating the Patriots earlier this year by accident. We didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> so now we have to now out of morbid curiosity, we're going to tune in to see what the Patriots do to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> yep, and with that. Uh, the game will be on CBS. You get Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. Oh, my God. Oh, can't yeah. wait for I, them. I, I oh, can I say this? At, last week, last week we had two clowns. Tom, McCart- Tom McCarthy and, and Adam, Adam Archuleta. Archuleta. Now, Adam Archuleta was a former linebacker from the Rams. I thought it was Rams. a safety. Safety. Oh, safety from the Rams. And Redskins. Yep. And the Redskins. Yep. And he also kind of moonlighted with the Bills for a hot second. And then we didn't take him because, because he was already he washed up. Yep. That guy is the, I mean, he's not even a bag. He's the whole box of tools. That guy, <laughs> between his stupid fucking haircut and the fact that he kind of, he, he, he blinks with one eye. And then oh. he's, and then they have all these arches, things, arches, whatever. Arch, he's nobody. Don't give him a nickname now. How about, how about oh, that? How about that. this? How about this? I'm, I'm right now, Christian, I'm on 506sports.com. Tom McCarthy, Adam Archuleta, they're not even broadcasting a game for You're CBS. You're damn right because they shouldn't be. They sh- that's Jesus. terrible. Jesus. All right, guys. That's so terrible. we got to get out of here. Guys, thank you so much for showing up. That's Christian Simonelli. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockball Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.